Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. with me please to the book of 2nd Corinthians tonight 2nd Corinthians chapter number 11 and uh, I'm gonna, I want us to read one verse of scripture together and 2nd uh, Corinthians chapter number 11 and we're going to read verse number 10 together tonight and uh, it's a, it is a shorter verse of scripture but we're going to stand here in just a moment and read when you get your place there I'll have you stand and we'll read this verse of scripture together and uh, then we'll bring the thought the Lord has given us for tonight. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter number eleven and verse number ten. I love, uh, I love this verse of scripture. There is a particular phrase in the middle of the verse that I'm interested in taking our thought out of tonight, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to us. Verse number 10, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he, let, he tells them, he says, As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Tonight I'm interested in that phrase where he says, no man shall stop me. And tonight I'm going to begin to preach to you maybe in the next two Sunday nights or so. I want to preach on this subject, unstoppable Christians. Unstoppable Christians. You may have a seat. Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll get into the message that the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you tonight as humbly as I know how. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be able to gather with your people one more time. Thank you, God, for what you did on these grounds this morning. God, how you encouraged our hearts. Lord, so many folks came up out of the service and were so kind, uh, Lord, by sharing, God, what you did in their hearts this morning. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I don't have, uh, God, I, I, have no, I have no claim to what you did for us this morning. And God, if you do anything tonight, I have no, I have no stake and no claim to claim as mine anything that you will even do this evening. Father, if anything that will be done that will be worth anything, it's going to come from you. And all, you and only you will be the one that makes it come to pass this evening. Father, I do need your help, though, if I'm going to preach the Word of God. I need you to, to, to help me in this moment of preaching. Lord, preaching is a spiritual work we can perform, uh, Lord, in the flesh. But, God, we truly cannot preach in the flesh. Uh, that is a spiritual endeavor. And Father, I pray that you would help me to enter into that spiritual endeavor tonight. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. Fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory that I may truly be a preacher of the Word of God and that I may be a pastor to these people as I try to shepherd them in the ways of the Word of God and the ways of truth. Father, I pray for the next few moments, God, that your will would be done. Lord, I need the filling of the Spirit. I need the directing of the Holy Ghost. I need you to touch my mind, my heart, my lips, my, my body, my ability, uh, God, that, that I may be used as your vessel, Lord, to proclaim this truth that you put upon my heart. I pray, dear God, that you would make, uh, Lord, that you would make preaching uh, not just easy in terms of having good 
liberty, but I pray, God, that you'd make it powerful, make it personal to us tonight. May, may we not just simply hear the voice of the preacher and just hear another message, and another outline, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to hear from heaven tonight. Lord, there are so many things in life that would cause us to want to stop and to quit and to give up and to tuck tail and run, but I pray, dear God, that in this series you'd help us to see some unstoppable Christians. I pray, dear God, in this message tonight, you'd help us to begin uh, to begin to get a hunger for uh, the idea of being an unstoppable Christian, uh, Lord, that there'd be no person, no individual that'd be able to stop us from doing what you'd have for us to do. Lord, please have your will and way. God, I pray that if there's one lost, you'd save them, one backslid, they'd get right. And I pray, God, that you would touch all of your children and give them what they stand in need of tonight at your hand. Please, dear God, I pray, accomplish that thing that you would be pleased to do. And Lord, your word does say, uh, God, that if we would preach the word of God, if we'd rightly divide the word of truth, if we would get the word out, Lord, that you would accomplish that thing that you sent it forth to do. I can't do that, but I'm asking that you do that according to your word this evening. And Father, for everything you do, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In the name that is above every name we pray, in the name of Jesus, it is that we pray, amen and amen. When we come to this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, I've already let you know uh, that I'm interested in verse number 10. I'm interested in particular in that one phrase there in verse number 10 where the Apostle Paul said, No man shall stop me. And I do believe that that is the attitude that every child of God ought to have when it comes to serving Jesus. I think that when it comes to serving the Lord, every person that's saved by the grace of God should have a, should have a, 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 a an attitude of quitting is not an option. Stopping and slowing down is not an option. It's not on the table. It's not for us to uh, even to begin to think about in our mind. We ought to have a an unstoppable mentality. Here we find a man that was unstoppable. We'll look at in the Word of God some ways in which he was unstoppable. Several different passages we'll see uh, in which the Apostle Paul was an unstoppable Christian. Amen. And as you read throughout this chapter, there's no doubt uh, that he truly was an unstoppable Christian. Here tonight, I want to just simply, uh, I want to simply uh, state this by way of introduction that when we come to this passage of Scripture, of course, we understand uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing his second epistle or his second letter uh, to those Christians in in Corinth. He, by the point, uh, by the time he has come to this uh, epistle, he has spent ten and a half chapters of this epistle uh, de uh, detailing to them truth concerning his ministry as a Christian. If you look at chapter number ten, it really begins uh, in a major way in chapter number ten. It begins to come to a head in chapter number ten. Paul has spent the majority of this book dealing with areas of ministry, uh, dealing with what it is to be uh, a 
minister for the Lord, having a ministry of service for the Lord. But it comes really to a head in chapter number 10, and that bleeds over into chapter number 11, in which uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul begins in chapter number 11 by dealing with those in Corinth uh, who uh, have uh, tried to uh, cause uh, doubt concerning his apostleship. Uh, they have begun to try to undercut the apostle in his ministry. Uh, they are they're trying to discredit him uh, as a minister of the gospel. And as chapter number 10 begins in verse number 1, uh, we find the apostle Paul uh, beginning to try to, in his words, vindicate uh, the uh, position that he has as an apostle. More than just a position, uh, but vindicate the ministry that he has been given to the Lord uh, to show these people uh, that he is more than just a man with a title. He's more than just a talking head in a church somewhere or in a synagogue somewhere or on the side of a street corner somewhere. Uh, but he is God's man. He is God's servant. And he is on a mission uh, from God himself. He has a ministry that has been given to him specifically uh, from the Lord Jesus. Look at verse number one. And I want us to walk through some of these verses really before we begin to dig in uh, to the through the, to the, uh, the 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 points that I want to give you, and uh, I want us to lay a foundation at least tonight as we look here in these verses. Notice verse number one: the Apostle Paul says, "Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that beseeched he's talking about. I'm begging you. I'm coming to you almost as if upon bended knee." He says, I'm coming to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Uh, he's not coming in the flesh. Uh, he is coming to them uh, spiritually with a, with, a, with a heart that is right. And he, he, he's, he's, he's dealing with them in such a way. Verse 2, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with uh, that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm writing this this portion of this letter to you so that the harshness of my words only come in the form of the printed page. Uh, that way I don't have to come physically in front of you and preach to you and lead you with harsh words, with, with scolding and with firm, a firm hand of leadership. He said, I would rather do it while I'm absent. And, he, and we'll see here in just a minute that he's not saying that he wants to do that because he's afraid of being the man that needs to be uh, the leader in their presence. Paul was not afraid of confrontation. This is the same apostle Paul that went to the big boys of the apostles, uh, went to the chief apostle, if you will, the apostle Peter, and withstood him to the face and told Peter, uh, you are in the wrong, and, I, and I'm, I'm calling you out, Peter, for being in the wrong. Paul's not afraid of confrontation. But what he's saying here is, he said, I would rather write to you harshly so that when I'm with you uh, everything will be right everything will be as it needs to be and we can enjoy sweet fellowship instead of a firm hand and but Paul knew something has to change and he is letting them know uh, that something in their midst has to change he says that he uh, that he says where he thinks to be bold against his son by the way let me just say this tonight I believe that we as believers 
believers ought to be against some things. Amen. Paul here makes no hesitation to say that I need to be bold against some. Amen. Uh, God's will is not for all of his children to hold hands with everybody else that says that, they're, that they love the Lord and they're saved and they're servants of God. That we all hold hands and say kumbaya no matter, no matter what's going on. Amen. No matter what the so-called so Christian believes and stands for. Amen. Ecumenicalism is killing our churches. Amen. It's killing uh, the, uh, the work of evangelism in the world because there's so many people that'll go to hell in the name of Jesus and being a Christian and loving God and all of these things because they went down to a liberal church somewhere that told them it was okay to be for everything and against nothing. Amen. But Paul says here that we ought to be against some things. Amen. And here he's, he said not just that he's against some things but he says he's against some. There are some people uh, that he is standing against and it's those that think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul here is not just talking about himself. When he uses the term uh, that they think of us and as if we walked according to the flesh, he's not only talking about himself, but he's talking about all of those that labor with him in the gospel ministry. He says there are some that are saying that what we do, we're doing in the flesh. And the Apostle Paul was not willing to allow those that he was trying to win to God to think that he was operating in the flesh. Amen. You're not you. Your message isn't going to go much further than the messenger can go. Amen. If the messenger's not right, the message won't be received. If the messenger can't be trusted, then the message can't be trusted a lot of times. Amen. Or at least people aren't going to believe. Uh, the, you, can, you, can be, uh, you can be a rotten messenger, have a good message, but the problem is if you're a rotten messenger and you may be preaching a good message, but if you're not living a life that backs up what you say, the message is going to fall on deaf ears. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that there is way too much in the balance for him just to be willing to let the message fall on deaf ears. Amen. And let these folks convince others that he's preaching to and ministering to that these are men operating in the flesh. Paul said, I'm not good with that. I can't allow that to happen. Amen. And so he begins to deal with that. Verse number three, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says this, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. He's talking again about those group of men that, that he is laboring with. He says, we have to be in this flesh. Everything we do, we're in a body of flesh. Amen. I'm not looking at a group of spiritual beings tonight. Every single one of us have a physical body, a, a fleshly body. We have to live and interact in this world in the flesh, but we don't have to be of the flesh while we do it. We can live for God and have and walk with God and have a spiritual life and be led by the Spirit. Amen. The Bible says if you be led by the Spirit, uh, you shall, uh, amen, you shall uh, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. We need to be people that's led of the Spirit, that's walking in the Spirit. Amen. Paul said that though they have to walk in the flesh, the, well, their life is in the flesh, their warfare, their, they do not war after the flesh. Their spiritual warfare is not after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, he's talking about them again. The weapons that we use to fight, the fight that we've been called to fight, are not carnal. In other words, they're not of this world. These are not earthly, worldly weapons. He's not grabbing a gun or a knife or a spear. He says here, 
that the weapons that they have are mighty through God. In other words, these are spiritual weapons. These are weapons that he has through God himself. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This isn't part of the message tonight, but that lets me know that physical weapons don't, uh, physical weapons don't pull down spiritual strongholds. Amen. Amen. If you're fighting, if, if your fight is a physical fight and not a spiritual one, uh, then you're not going. You're then you're not going to have these same results that Paul had. Look at verse number five. Casting down imaginations. This is what their warfare does. This is how they operate in their warfare. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I've preached these verses and we walked through them and spent several weeks here to you with you several years ago. But I'm going to, as we walk through this, I'm just going to make this statement. I think that is a big, that, that's a big, uh, 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 claim that Paul is making that what they're doing by fighting a good fight of faith is they are bringing into captivity every thought that they have to the obedience of Christ. I wonder how many of us tonight can say every thought we have is brought to a place where it obeys Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul said that's what they're warring for. That, that is what their warfare looks like. The, the battle truly does begin in the mind. And so, therefore, that is what they're working toward. That's what they are doing. Casting down imagination, every high thing is all itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? Paul's asking them that question. And the reason is, is because that's exactly what they've been doing to him and his co-laborers. Paul begins there in verse number 10, or chapter 10, verse 1, by talking about how, what his presence looks like among them. That he, that, he, that he in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. In other words, when you looked at Paul physically, he wasn't much to be worried about. Most people believe, historically speaking, that the Apostle Paul was a very small man, uh, smaller than just about anyone in this building. Some have supposed that the Apostle Paul very well may could have been under five foot tall. A small man that is also known for the cause of Christ to have been, uh, to have been injured in such a way to where his own physical appearance is contemptible, to where he's very frail and very weak weak physically, but Paul here, we see that he's not that way spiritually. So they are looking on his outward appearance. They're making judgments on his outward appearance. And for you to look at someone as they did and say what he's doing, he's doing in the flesh and he's not doing in the spirit. There's no way that we can look at someone's life and tell whether or not uh, they are living in the flesh or in the spirit. We understand, yes, we can judge fruit. Yes, we can see obedience and disobedience. But Paul here, he's, he's, not, he's not carousing. He's not in open sin. He's serving the Lord. And for his service, they say, well, that's just about him. That's just in the flesh. It's not in the spirit. If you ask me, that sounds like somebody that's jealous of what God has called Paul to do. Yeah. 
Most of the times you hear people talk like this, it's because they're jealous of another man's ministry. They're jealous of another, of another person's walk with God or the favor that God has given them. But here the Apostle Paul is letting them know that they're looking on his outward appearance. He's calling them to the carpet on that, if you will. He continues, verse number 7, to say us, And if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. He says, if you think you belong to Christ, let me just assure you we do as well. Verse 8, he says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority. Here is a little bit of that bold conversation, that bold talk that Paul said that he would rather leave in the letters instead of having to have face to face. He says there in verse 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority. In other words, he as an apostle of Christ has been given authority by God in their lives. This is a period of time in which the scriptures are being formalized and God is using these apostles to give a foundation to the early church. Uh, the early church, yes, has an ultimate cornerstone foundation of Christ, but the, the Bible says that, it, that the foundation of the early church, the cornerstone was Jesus, the foundation was the apostles. Here we find Paul is reminding them that God has given him a unique ministry ministry with a unique authority over their life. And Paul said, I could call this to carpet. And he says that I should remind you of the authority that God has given me over you. He says that he should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. In other words, Paul is saying that I could mention to you the authority that we have as an apostle uh, over God's churches. Uh, I, could, I, I could and I shall bring that up. He brings it up here. But he says that God has given us this authority not to hurt you, not for your destruction, not to tear you down, but for your edification. The reason why God gave apostles is to build up the people of God. It's the same reason today why God gives pastors and teachers and evangelists. It is to build up the body of Christ. God's not interested in tearing down folks, tearing down His children, but He wants us to grow and He wants us to, 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 to be more for His honor and for His glory. He said, I'm reminding you of these things because your activity uh, is not becoming of a Christian. Uh, it's not the way you ought to be. I'm trying to help you with what I say, not tear you down. And he adds that phrase, I should not be ashamed. In other words, with the authority that I have, with the ministry that God has given me uh, as an apostle, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Paul did not have to apologize for being made by God an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to apologize for that. There was nothing to be ashamed of. They're calling him to carpet saying that he is something that he's not. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to apologize for who I am. I don't have to be ashamed for what God has called me to do. He did not have to be ashamed of what they were doing. He did not have to be ashamed of how they were doing it. And he did not have to be ashamed 
ashamed of who they were doing it for. Amen. This ministry is for the Lord. They are doing it God's way, and they are doing it in the authority that God has given them. And if it hair lips everybody else, they're going to do what God said to do. And they don't have to be ashamed for that. Amen. Verse 9, he said, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Literally what Paul is saying there in verse 9 and 10 is that he is implying that he is not talking a big talk just so he can hide behind his letters that I would seem to terrify you by letters. He doesn't have to be ashamed of who he is physically. And when he writes the letters, he's not being bold to try to, uh, to terrify them by his letters and to hide behind his letters because Paul understood uh, a little bit of the, the gossip, if you will, that was circulating about his ministry. And you've got to understand, these Corinthians, they've already received one letter from Paul. You think about 1 Corinthians, it was a handwritten sermon. It was a lengthy handwritten sermon from the Apostle Paul. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, it was scathing. Somehow between the first letter and this second letter, there had been a the people in the, I guess in Corinth had began to talk and their gossip and their, their, their statement about the Apostle Paul began to circulate and made it all the way back to him. By the way, let me say this, anything that happens like that in church, it does make its way back to the source of who you're talking about. Amen. As a pastor of a church, I'm usually always the last one to know when somebody has something to say about me or something I do or what they like or what they don't like. Amen. But it does make its way back to me. Amen. Paul is letting them know uh, this, this was not kept secret. Uh, this did make its way back to me. I know this is being discussed. And he says here that this is what they said. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful. His letters have some heaviness to them and some grit behind them and some power to them. And Paul is a bold, uh, terrifying, he used that word man in his letters. But notice this, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. In other words, Paul's hiding behind his letters, and in his letters he'll pump his chest a little bit, but when you get him in presence, he doesn't quite match the intensity of the letters that he's writing. His bodily presence is weak, and his speech contemptible, or it is least esteemed. It is easy to be despised. In other words, when you see Paul in person, and you hear Paul speak in person, Person. Now, I've always been taught that the Apostle Paul was an, a genius, and I believe that. I believe the Bible lets us know that. I've always heard that the Apostle Paul would have been an exceptionally eloquent speaker, but that doesn't seem to be what that verse is saying. In other words, they say when you see him, his physical presence isn't anything to be in awe about. It's not anything to write home about. And when you hear him speak, you can hear his words and just easily despise it. Just easily, the word despise there means for you to just write it off. It's e Paul, they, 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 they said that of Paul. The church in Corinth said that of Paul. And when you hear him speak, 
it's easy just to set it aside and not super impressive. But if you give Paul the time to pick up a pen and get some paper, then Paul can be pretty impressive. But when you see him in person, it doesn't match the letters. Paul said, I understand that you're saying that. Verse 11, he said, let such and one think this. That such as we are, now you, you, you look at what Paul's saying here again. Paul said, I'd rather be bold to you in, in my letters, so I don't have to be bold to you in person. Paul here, in a very eloquent, elo, elo, eloquent way, is being very forceful with them. He is letting them know that he's not going to be walked over. He's not, you may think that you can dismiss me, but I will not be dismissed. And it's not Paul in arrogance saying that I refuse to be dismissed. It's not Paul saying that I deserve to be treated like somebody. That's the way that we are a lot of times, are we not? Somebody turns us over in our minds. Somebody says something negative about us. We say, well, I deserve better than this. Paul's not saying that. What Paul is saying is, is he's not going to let them despise him and turn what he's doing over in their mind because he's not on a mission for Paul. He's on a mission for the Lord. He's an apostle of God. He realizes he's going to stand before Christ for this one day. So this is what he said. He said, let such a one, all, all of you guys that are saying that and you agree with that, he said, let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. That is bold of Paul. In other words, he said, you think I'm bold, you think I'm harsh, you think I'm, you think I'm a bad dude and pretty scary when it comes to how I present myself in letters, you just mark it down, Jack, that when I show up in person, that there won't be any, that you'll realize there won't be any truth to all that stuff you are saying. I can be this way in person. The reason why I'm not is because I choose not to be. And this isn't Paul having a bad attitude. This isn't Paul showing his sin nature. This is Paul realizing the position that God had put him in and being, being willing to be more faithful to Christ than he is to please men. Here he makes those statements. Verse 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend ourselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Comparing ministries is not wise. Verse 13, but we will not boast of the things without our measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even to you. In verse 13 what he's saying is, is that Paul is fully aware that, there, that God has given him as an apostle limits to his ministry. There are horizons to his ministry. There are those that he has been called to, and he is fully aware of that. Paul is saying that he is not going to boast about ministry endeavors that are not. He's not going to. He's not going to boast. He's not going to uh, to, to be bold toward them in areas that it's not uh, his realm of authority to deal with. Okay, the Apostle Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. He's an apostle to the church. He's not trying to run the synagogues. He's trying to get them saved, but he's not trying to run the synagogues. He's not trying to step out of his bounds. He said that I'm only, in other words, we'll put it this way, Paul's saying I'm going to stay in my lane. 
But when he says, a measure to reach even unto you, Paul is letting them know, the reason why I'm being bold to you is because while I stay in my lane, you're in my lane. You're under my authority. So he mentions that. Verse 14, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying, just like we talked about this morning, about the path that God would have us on, the will of God that God would have for us. The apostle Paul is saying that we have been pursuing the will of God. We've been staying in our lane. We've been serving God like he would have for us. And I as we pursued one step after the next, staying in our lane, in the realm of our calling, in the realm of our authority, Paul said that our path, our daily walk with God and ministry and preaching the gospel brought us straight to your doorstep. And now we're responsible for how we handle you. Paul's saying now that we've met, I can't look back and I can't look another direction. You're in my lane now. And I'm responsible for how I deal with you. Paul is telling them, in other words, that he is dealing with them as a matter of duty. He owes this kind of leadership in their life. He, he owes it to the Lord, and he owes it to these people as a debtor for the gospel's sake to them. Verse 15, so he says that it's the preaching of the gospel that brought him to them. Verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors. Paul is not bragging and boasting about what other men are doing. When he uses that word measure, there in verse 15 when he says that is of other men's labors, he just defined what he meant by the word measure. So in the verses ahead and the verses and the verses that would follow, really it's just in the verses ahead. Every time that word measure, the measure of the rule, the measure, the measure, he mentions several times there in the verse of verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, that you can you can look at verse 15 and know what he means by the measure. Measure. He's talking about other men's labors. He's, our, our measure is our labors. The other men's labors is outside or without on the outside of our measure. When he talks about our measure, he's saying we're doing the ministry we've been called to do. We're not worrying about other men. And can I say this? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? We're independent Baptists around here, right? As I, as a pastor of Beacon Baptist Church, I need to concern myself with the ministry of Beacon Baptist Church, with the vision of Beacon Baptist Church, with our community that God has called us to reach. Amen. With what takes place in this place. Amen. What takes place in this congregation. Paul says here, he gives us a biblical precedent. You focus on the lane that God has called you to. You focus in your measure of ministry. Don't worry about other men's labors. I, I'm not the pastor of Gethsemane. I'm not the pastor of Gannon Street. I'm not the pastor Joel. I'm not the Pastor uh, Lighthouse. I'm not the pastor of any of those places. I'm the pastor here. You're not to serve there. You're not to do, to worry about trying to please other ministries and other people. You do what God's called you to do where God's called you to do it. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 16, uh, verse 15, he says, not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labor, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be increased by you according to our rule of abundantly. In other words, he's saying that because we 
we focused on our lane and you're in our lane because we've invested in you that now through you our ministry will grow, grow and expand as you begin to pursue your lane. So in other words what Paul is doing in them it'll reach other people because Paul has deposited some things in them and then they will go out and serve God in their, their place in their measure in their lane if you will and now what's been deposited in them by Paul there'll be a little bit of Paul that'll reach everybody they reach because Paul is deposited in them. Do you see that there in the verse? Here's what he says verse 16 to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Paul's purpose in ministry. Paul is, in, is, is working in them, trying to get uh, these situations right, trying to deal with those who think of them and, uh, as if they walked according to the flesh, who are trying to cause doubt upon their apostleship because there is a large ministry that God has called him to do. It is his ministry. It is his duty. He cannot afford for that uh, to be hindered because there are people beyond them. He said, the, the following the will of God has brought me to you, but it's not God's will me to stop with you. There are regions beyond you that have to be reached. So we've got to deal with this now so we can reach the regions beyond. To reach, uh, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not, uh, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready uh, to our hand. Do you see I mean, how I use that illustration about, about being in your lane? Paul calls it a line. Yeah. That lets me know that the way I illustrate it to you seems to be right. Amen. He called it a line. A man's line of things made ready to our hand. Verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In other words, if you're going to brag on something you're doing for the Lord, make sure you're glorying in the Lord, not in the flesh. When you're serving God, don't, 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 don't glory in the flesh. Don't glory in yourself. Glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. He said, verse 17, verse 18, why? For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. In other words, Paul is saying that I'm not being bold toward you because I'm anything. But I'm being bold toward you because this is, this, is what God's put, this is where God's put me. This is how God would have for me to labor. This is the, condemna the, 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 the commendation, rather, the commendation of God upon my life. He has commended me. He has commissioned me to do what I'm doing. And I want to, yes, I want to get things straight with you. I want everything with us to be as it ought to be. God brought me to you for a purpose. But we've got to get to the regions beyond and all kinds of silliness within the body of Christ does stop the evangelistic work of a ministry of a church. If our church is not unified, if our church doesn't is not of one mind and one accord, if there's a bunch of schisms, if there's a bunch of fighting and infighting, if there if there's a, a bunch of secret thoughts and secret ideas and just dissension, amen, that we don't have a hope of reaching the regions beyond. Because we won't, we won't get the gospel very much beyond just the walls of this building. Paul's saying, I've got to get the gospel beyond us. So we need to deal with these things in the church. So the church can be used for me to reach you, you to reach others, so that the gospel is going to regions beyond just us. It can't stop here. So we come to chapter number 11 then. Paul, on the cusp, on the, on the heels of having to vindicate his ministry. 
and, and, and trying to prove that and the need for them to, to see the ministry for what it ought to be and to see what God is doing in them and using them for. He says there in chapter 11, verse number 1, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. In other words, when Paul says, he says a little in my folly, he, the, the word folly deals with the idea of foolishness. In other words, Paul is saying that because of how they have treated his ministry, because of how they have despised his ministry and uh, thought of him as, as contemptible and thought of his speech as contemptible and spread that thing that they spread about him and said that him and his compatriots were operating in, uh, operating in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Paul is saying, I'm having to do something that's foolish to have to do, and that is having to try to defend myself. Having to boast, having to, to Paul, Paul is saying that it is foolish for me to have to tell you who I am, who God's called me to be, to boast in the authority that God's given me. Paul was not a proud man. We see that throughout the scriptures. Paul was not a proud man after he got saved. When he got saved, God took all the pride right out of Paul, and he became a humble servant of Christ. But Paul at times, because of the position that they put him in, he had to remind him of who God called him to be. He had to, to boast his authority. He had to, he had to, to flex his uh, positional muscle, if you will, and just remind him who God had called him to be. Not being arrogant, not being proud, but he says, you've put me in a position where I've got to do something that's foolish, and it is, it is a foolish thing to try to, to lift yourself up. But Paul Paul is saying, I, I've, been, I've been put in a, in, a, in, a, in a position that I have to do this to, to, to get the point across as to why we need to get together and work together and, and get, get, get uh, this issue dealt with so that the gospel doesn't stop in Corinth. He says, bear with me a little in my folly. Verse 2, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. You can have a godly jealousy, according to that verse. Paul, let's read a little bit more, and I'll explain this jealousy in just a minute. He said, For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. Isn't that interesting? Even the Apostle Paul believed in the Genesis account of Adam and Eve. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, whom you have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. In other words, well, the, apostle, when Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. If you're a jealous person, you don't want somebody else to have what you have. My children are jealous children. Your children might have been jealous children. If, if, my children, if one of my children's playing with a toy and the other one tries to take their toy, there's going to be a little bit of an attitude that they're going to extend to the one trying to take their toy. Why? That's mine. 
they're jealous over that toy. They, they don't want to share. Paul here is saying, I'm not willing to share you with a false prophet. I'm not willing to share you with someone that's going to corrupt the pure gospel of Christ in your hearing. Paul said, in other words, me and you, we've come too far together for me to be willing to let you hear what is not right and to follow a teacher that is not going to give you what God truly says and what God would have for you. I'm not willing for you, I'm not willing for you to yoke up with someone that's not going to preach the truth. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, when he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, he gives the reason for him being jealous over them, him not being willing to let another, another uh, teacher, if you will, have their hearing and have their mind and have their heart. He said, for I have espoused you to one husband. The, the, the espousal, I, I, I preached this back in December, the espousal was a legal contract uh, in, in the Jewish world between, between uh, a man and a woman that it was as binding as marriage, but they had not had, they, they'd signed the papers, they had paid uh, the, the bride's price, but they had not had the big celebration wedding and there had been no consummation of the marriage yet. This is a halfway point. In other words, Paul is saying that that espousal is where essentially a man and woman come together legally and they are, we use this term, it's, it's not necessarily a really good term, it's a slang term, but they got hitched up together. Paul said, I hitched you up to Jesus. As the apostle as the apostle to the Gentiles, God gave, Christ gave the gospel into my hands. I've preached to you before, Paul calls the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he calls it my gospel. Paul, God gave it to Paul. Paul was entrusted with the gospel of Christ and he said through my preaching and through the ministry of me and our co-laborers, we came to Corinth, we preached the gospel, we hitched you up with Jesus, you're espoused to him. You're connected with Him. And God used us to do that. He says that I have espoused you to one husband, to one Christ, to the real Christ, to the true Christ, with, through the true gospel and the true message. Amen. I've espoused you to the right one, if you will. He said that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, I don't know how you see this. But we're talking about wedding language here. I've I, I preached this here before. I don't know if you remember it or not. I know you don't because you weren't here. <laughs> and I know he doesn't. He wasn't here. But based on that language and Paul's effort in the gospel, I don't know how the, I don't know how the marriage of us to Jesus is going to work. I don't know if it looks like our weddings today. And to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if we do have some sort of a wedding ceremony, it's going to look more like the Jewish wedding than the American wedding. <laughs> but in our American weddings, we have a bride, we have a groom. We have a best man. We have we have uh, the, usually the, the dad of the bride gives the bride away. Paul says here that I've, I've 
hitched you up with Jesus. I've brought the two of you together that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I don't know how all this is going to work out, but it seems to me like Paul is saying that there is something special in store for him to where he's going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I present to you your bride. Paul very well could be the one that gives the bride away because it's through his gospel that God entrusted him with that every single one of us have come to know Jesus as our Savior. He said, he said I'm not willing. God has, God has used me to bring you together. And he said, I want to present you as a chaste, as a holy, as a spotless virgin to Christ. And just, just as Ephesians 5 talks about that, 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 he would, that he would present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Amen. That it would be holy and without blemish, holy and without blame before him in love. That's the way the church is to be presented to Jesus. He said, I've, I've hitched you up together uh, that I may present you holy and perfect before the Lord one day. He said, but I fear. That's what I've done. <clears throat> but with all of these false teachers around, with all of these that would want to cast doubt upon our ministry, that have to say what they have to say about our ministry. Paul said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, through his craftiness, his wiliness, his trickery, if you will. It literally gives the idea, of, the word gives an idea of a false wisdom. That in the garden, there, the serpent had convinced Eve that what she was believing and what she was hearing from him was right. That, that she was believing that what the serpent was saying was wisdom. He doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you'll become like God's. And when she said that, when, when he said that in her mind, she says, that makes sense. That's great wisdom. But the problem is it was false wisdom. That's, that's the subtlety. That, that you can be. False teaching can corrupt folks to believing a lie, believing that what, they, what they're trusting in is right and wise and true. But in all, at the end of all of it, it's false. <clears throat> Paul said, I don't want you to be beguiled. I don't want you to be tricked. The serpent did it to Eve. He said, your minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity means to be free from pretense and hypocrisy. To, be, to not be self-seeking. It is, it is that which makes something simple and not complex. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, I don't want someone to come along and to make your to make what you understand about God more difficult than it is. And doing so from, from a place of pretense and hypocrisy. I submit to you tonight that, on, that, that I, I believe we can say that just about every false teacher, if not every false teacher, that you'll ever hear or hear of has an ulterior motive in mind. I saw something today. It had a picture of Joel Osteen on it. 
And it says, if you are raking in $40 million off of the church, you're not a pastor, you're a con man. Amen. There is an, I don't care if, if Smiley Joel does tell you he got all of his wealth from his books. When money went missing in Lakewood Church, they, and they, they found money stashed away in the walls of the bathroom and had to have the police called in from a staff member. They, th those that were in higher ups really began to try to shut that down, that investigation down. If you don't have anything to hide, why are you trying to stifle people from looking where your money's at? The amen goes right there. If, 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 if the IRS came in here, we could let them look at all of our books. We have nothing to hide. We, we don't have money stashed away in the walls, so nobody come up here this afternoon with a sledgehammer. Amen. It ain't in there. If you start smashing the walls, you're going to find all the, all the particles that this is made out of and a bunch of hollow inside. There is an ulterior motive in mind. Why would you try to pull somebody away from the truth if it doesn't benefit you any? That Paul's saying, I'm not willing to let them have that. I'm not willing to let you be corrupted. Verse 4, he's saying, I'm not willing to let you <coughs> hook up with someone that preaches another Jesus. And by the way, there's ministry after ministry after ministry today that they preach a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of this Bible. That's right. Amen. Even the, even the Muslims have a Jesus that they preach. But I assure you it's not the Jesus of this Bible. The Mormons have a, have a Jesus that they preach, but it's not the Jesus of this Bible. If your Jesus can be, it can be the brother of Lucifer, it's not the Jesus of this Bible. He said, I'm not willing to let somebody preach to you another Jesus. It's a, a Jesus that's not the one that we've preached. We're not allowing you to receive another spirit that you've not received. In other words, that you've not received through their ministry, through their efforts. We're not willing to let you come uh, to, to embrace another gospel uh, which you have not accepted. He said, the fear is this, that through hearing that crowd and being corrupted by that crowd and thinking that there's true wisdom in it, but it's false wisdom by being and corrupted and pulled into that crowd, he's saying, my fear is this, that you might well bear with them. I'm willing that, I, I'm, I'm fearful that you very well may <coughs> begin to, to listen to them. The word bear with, that, that phrase, it's one, one single Greek word. It means to put up with. It means to hold oneself up against. It, literally, it gives the idea of leaning up against something. That's what the word means. When he says, my fear is that you might bear with them, he's saying that I, I'm fearful that you'll listen to them to the point that what they're teaching you will be what you're letting hold your life up. And he's saying, I'm not willing to let you do that. He said, I, in other words, he's saying, I know what the real Jesus can do for you if you prop your life up against him. I know what the gospel can do, the true gospel can do if you prop your life up against that. I know what the Spirit of God can do in your human spirit. I know what the right kind of spirit can do if you prop up your life in the Holy Ghost of God. I know what that can do. I'm not willing to let you prop up your life 
upon another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel, you'll fall flat every time. I love you enough. God's let me invest in you enough. I'm not willing to let you prop your life up with that. He, say, he goes on to say, for I suppose I was not a wit. That wit is the smallest part or particle imaginable. Not, not even the smallest thing. We, we would use a word like this. We would use a word like Adam. The smallest particle imaginable. The pieces of an atom, the small as you can get it down. He said, that's how little that I say that I am behind the very chiefest apostles. He said, but, th but though I be rude, but though I seem unlearned and ignorant, devoid of, of special uh, learning or gifts, uh, overabundantly plain in speech. Though it seems like I'm being plain in speech and unlearned in speech. Yet not in knowledge, he says, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. You've seen who we are. The proof is in the pudding that you've seen. He says in verse 7, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye may be exalted? Paul is saying that I've actually brought myself low to help bring you up. He, he's, 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 he's appealing to them. He said, what if I, what, you, you saying all these things and you thinking all these things and you're trying to turn uh, people away. He said, what if, in other words, what have I done to you but humble myself, but give myself less so that I might give you more? He says this there at verse 7, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you may be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. In other words, when he came in, he said, verse 8, for I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. In other words, he's saying that I came to you of my own charges. I didn't take a dime from you. Right. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even let you invest in, 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 in my ministry. I didn't let you help pay for the wages of getting there to you and ministering among you. He said in verse 9, when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable, no man. Paul said, I didn't even let you give me anything even though I was as broke as a joke when I got there. I was in need. Paul knew what it was to suffer need. He tells us later on in this chapter that he does know what it was to suffer need. And he was among them, and so he wouldn't have to ask anything of them. He didn't, he did not even, he didn't let them even give into his ministry when he was in great need. He says, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me. The brethren which came from Macedonia supplied and all <coughs> things I have kept myself from being burdensome <clears throat> unto you. So uh, will I keep myself. And then we come to verse number 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. I submit to you tonight what he's saying here, and I'll deal with this the next time we're in this passage. What he's saying here is he is, he is giving an oath of the trueness of what he is saying. He's saying, as the truth of Christ is in me, as the truth of who Christ is, is in me, as true as Christ himself is, that is how true what I'm saying to you is. As the truth of Christ, the, the, the truth of who he is and, and his character is in me. If you think he's true and he's righteous and he's right, he's saying, that's how truthful I'm being to you. He's giving this statement as an oath to them, as a promise to them of his honesty. He said, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. 
In other words, when it comes to preaching the gospel, he's not going to be stopped. When it comes to telling people the truth, he's not going to be stopped. He's not willing to be stopped by false prophets, as he just stated. He's not willing to be stopped by those in the church that have something that they want to say and run their mouth about his ministry. He's not willing to be stopped by those who may want to try to buy him off. He had to deal with Corinth strongly. He had to write them a very brash letter. And he's saying that I'm not going to come in to you and preach the way I've been and lead the way I've been and be this way to you and take money from you to where you can say, well, he came in and he did this and that and such and so, but yet he took our money. Paul, he realized that church was so carnal, he couldn't, he couldn't take money from them because it'd be a problem. He said, I'll let other churches take care of me. I'll let Macedonia, the poor church, we'll talk maybe more about that next Sunday morning as we head back toward missions emphasis. The, the churches where we get the idea of faith promise from, the, the church that was, that was in deep poverty, he said, I'll let them invest monetarily in me because I can't take anything from you because I'm not willing to let the money be the reason why I can't preach to you anymore and minister to you anymore. He said, I'm not going to let any man stop me of this boasting, preaching the gospel, boasting in Christ. I'm not going to let any man stop me. And he said, in the regions of Achaia, Corinth was, in, was, Corinth was, uh, it, it was uh, Achaia was a southern province in which Corinth was found. Corinth was right. And when he says Achaia, he's talking about in all of the regions that surround this, this city. He said, I'm, he said, my plan is, remember he said, I'm, I, God brought me to you, and now I want to go to the regions beyond you. He said, I'm going, he said no man's going to stop me from doing what God's called me to do and getting to the regions beyond you. I'm going to preach the gospel to all Achaia, and I'm not going to let you or anybody else stop me. Amen. So that's a little bit of background tonight to a man that was an unstoppable Christian. You say, preacher, how can I be an unstoppable Christian? Paul here, one of the main ways you can be an unstoppable Christian is to determine that you're not going to let anybody stop you from serving God, Amen. for being everything that he'd have for you to be, doing what God would have for you to do, not letting anything hinder you in his service. It's got to, it's got to start with you saying, I will not be stopped. I will not quit. I don't have any quit in me. Quitters are used to quitting and they're easy to quit. But those who have a mindset and an attitude that I will not quit no matter what, those are the ones that God can use greatly to get the gospel to the regions beyond themselves. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to be, and I hope you do as well. Let's stand across the building for a time of invitation. I want to be an unstoppable Christian. I want to have that attitude that Paul had. I'm not going to let anybody, and I think we could say this as well, and we'll deal with this more in coming, coming services, but it wasn't just anybody. In Paul's life we also saw he wasn't going to let anything stop him from pursuing the path of God for his life. Are you an unstoppable Christian, or do you have you have quitting on the brain? Do you have giving up in mind? How easy it for you, is it for you to quit in your service for the Lord?
how easy, easy is it for you to quit telling people about Jesus? How easy is it for you to quit living life that you know he'd have for you to live? How easy it is, for, is it for you to quit picking up your Bible every day and trying to have a time where you let God speak to you? How easy it is, how easy is it for you to not go to a place to pray to where you can speak to the Lord? stoppable or unstoppable we're all stoppable at times we allow ourselves in our mind to walk away from an attitude of I'm not willing no man shall stop me nothing can stop nothing I'm not going to let anything stop me Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.